0: So you've got a thermal scope, you've got a thermal monocular on a helmet that flips down so that anywhere you look, you're seeing with thermal in one eye. You've got one eye open that you can see with any ambient light from moonlight or whatever. You've got your modified Razor scooter. You've changed your call and the type of calling sequences you can use. Learned a lot about when and where to hunt and which winds and you're hunting, you know, days every week, all year long, learning this area. At this time, you know, since 2014, how many coyotes have you guys killed here? We've we've killed over 390 coyotes. 390 coyotes. And that's coyotes that are sure enough dead that you can reach over and pick up its foot and take a picture of it. These are stories of outdoor adventure And expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. SIG is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro-optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, SIG Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, SIG Sauer is synonymous with industry-leading quality and innovation, which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military, the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. Sig Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the Sig Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about Sig Sauer and its complete line of products, visit sigsauer.com. When do you first remember hearing about there being coyotes in
1: this area my dear friend owen lupton uh, you know a man who i fished with with for years has a pond in his backyard and he and his wife had canadian geese that would come in and raise their young you know in their backyard and, and they they took great pleasure in watching these goslings and, yeah. and, you know, these families of geese being raised in their backyard. And they noticed that they started disappearing. And so Owen uh, put a couple of trail cams out and realized that it was coyotes that was taking them out. That That was the first time I'd heard.
0: Do you remember what year that was?
1: That was probably in 2014. Wow. It's, it's
0: so amazing to me that it took that long for coyotes to get here.
1: Well, what brought coyotes here to our area was the dog pens, the fox pens. Okay. You know how the fox pens work, right?
0: Is it like a, are they raising them for fur? It, it,
1: it's a fenced in area, like a 15 ar- uh, acre area that's fenced in. Okay. And it's wooded yep. and they'll release foxes into this pen and then um, these people have dogs and, and they have observers that are posted throughout the 15 acres and, and the dogs, they, they paint these numbers on their sides and they put the dogs in. and it's a competition and whoever they grade the dogs on how well they're tracking how long they lead the pack, and in, in chasing the fox, uh, how they vocalize. So it's a competition. And what happened was, it became so competitive that they wanted to bring something in that was smarter than a fox, and so they started bringing coyotes in. Interesting. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, coyote, you, you, you can't keep anything like that. And they started getting out. Hmm. You know, from what I understand, the coyotes crossed the Mississippi River from the west about 100 years ago. And they've been working east ever since. So, ultimately, they would have been here anyway. But the foxpins are the ones that brought them in. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So that's how that happened.
0: And they're, they're newcomers for a variety of reasons all over the East Coast. Like, New York didn't have coyotes up until fairly recently, considering that this animal has been on the continent forever.
1: Yeah. Well, the the thing with the coyote is they're so adaptive. And, and not only, I mean, they, they've adapted really well to the urban areas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, even down here, and we're very rural. Um, Sometimes if you ride around and and you're looking, you see them on the streets of Bayboro, You, you know, they're, they're, they're very adaptive and they adapt really well around humans.
0: Yep. Well, I was, I was hearing rumors about there being coyotes here when I lived here, when I was in the Marines, which was, you know, 2010 to 2014. And you and I probably in 20, 13 was the first time we hunted coyotes down here together. We didn't call any in that we knew about, you right. know. Well. We we're pretty pretty rudimentary, especially compared to the way you're hunting coyotes now. Yeah. Yeah. But since 2014, your game has changed in incredible ways in in how you and Owen are hunting coyotes together. And last night was the first night I've got to to hunt with you since 2014. And I was absolutely blown away at the system you've created and the techniques that you're using. And I wanted to get into that um, because coyotes are something that, that are just about everywhere now. And anybody can hunt them year-round, and they should, right? There's very little, if any, negative to shooting a coyote and, and removing it from, the, from whatever ecosystem it's in not saying coyotes are evil and that everything that they do is wrong. Nothing like that. I've got all the admiration in the world for them, but hunting coyotes is fun and it's something that lots of people can do. They can afford to do it and it, it'll make you better at whatever else it is that you hunt.
1: Well, the, the reason people dislike coyotes besides, you know, to this area, they're any invasive species, mm-hmm. they kill everything. And they're so intelligent and in packs, they work so well together. And the animals in this area have no defense against them. They, they haven't evolved a defense mechanism for the coyote. And so we've actually saw dramatic decreases in turkey populations and quail populations and, and deer. I mean, they are just murderous on deer. Phones have no defense for coyotes. So that's why, you know, I I respect the coyotes. They're extremely intelligent. They're very adaptive. They're very efficient. They're a challenge, and and they're a wonder in the uh, natural world. I mean, I I guess it'd be like wolves, the, the way they work together, the way they vocalize, the way they remember. That, that's what really gets me is the way that they can, they can remember.
0: So tell me about your, your evolution
1: of coyote hunting. Oh, wow. Well, y- y- you know, for Owen w- worked at it for about a year before he, he brought me in, and primarily daytime hunts. And he, he was really having very little success and um owen and i had tarpon fish together for years so you know tarpon are another challenging sport and so we we've always enjoyed the challenges and he he invited me to go one night and and it's real funny that the first time he invited me to go um i i didn't take a weapon i, I was just a, an observer okay mm-hmm. and uh we went into a place and actually called a coyote in. We were using a red light to scan with, and uh, he called a coyote in, and the coyote got within fifty yards, and Owen had for- had forgotten to charge his AR-15, and so when he went to fire, there was nothing, and so when he by the time he shucked the shell in, of course you know what happened. The the dog was gone. Sure. So that, you know, that, that was kind of a funny experience. So, so the next time we went, I actually took a weapon and we went into a a little place and, and, you know, up until now, we had been hearing all these stories about how challenging it was and how hard it was. And, and, um, so we, we weren't really expecting a lot of success, but we went into this place and we put the call out. And we put a field mouse and distress call, and we were scanning with our red lights. What we had was we had a red one red light to scan with, and then we had a red light mounted to our scope, and it was a lighted reticle burst. When we started calling, three coyotes came charging in, and we killed two of them. And for me, that was it. I was hooked. It, You know, my heart almost came out of my chest and it was so fast and so exciting. So for me now, having said that, the next probably next 10 times we went, of course, we didn't see anything. But but that that's the thing about me and Owen, you know, we were so used to chasing a a challenging fish that we decided we were going to learn how to coyote hunt and we were going to go until we learned and we didn't quit. When you're talking about challenging
0: fish, I'm willing to talk about tarpon for, here for a second because you won a bunch of tarpon tournaments. Um, you're well-known locally as like the tarpon guy. You're saved in my phone as tarpon gene. And the first and only tarpon I ever caught was with you. And I've never been worked over by a fish the way that fish worked me over. These are big tarpon here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They they, they do tend to run real big here. They're They're up. Hundred pound, hundred and fifty pound fish. Yeah. So that as an average, and you're not catching little tarpon. No, no, Just we're not. Tarpon. We're catching big tarpon here in the Pamlico Sound. It 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 all really ties into the coyote hunt. You you've got to have the right equipment. Tarpon are very finicky fish, so you have you have to have everything right. But the main thing is, tarpon eat when they want to eat. Um, you you, you don't entice tarpon to eat and and they can roll around your boat for hours and hours and you never get a bite Hmm. and then for one hour they turn on and you have the most fun you have ever had for an hour (laughs) and that's what it makes you know that it makes it worth it which is
0: very similar to coyote hunting
1: Exactly. You can be so,
0: frustrated for days or weeks or months.
1: Exactly, and so and then, then so have the most we, fun you've ever had. Yeah, I mean, you, you 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 fish all day and you catch one fish, and it's worth it. And see, it, that's not very rewarding for most people. Most people want to catch more than one fish a day, right? You, you, you know, so I, I guess Owen and I were perfect candidates for coyote hunting. And, too, one of the challenging things for me and Owen here, I had you. You loaned me a couple books and gave me a lot of uh, insight and advice on on calling coyotes. But as far as experience in eastern North Carolina, nobody was doing it.
0: Well, coyotes hadn't been here. So,
1: you know, you were were inventing the wheel. There was no one to call. Yeah. You know, of course, I watched. Les Johnson every week calling out in Kansas and, but it's different. Yeah. It's really different.
0: Extremely different. And this is, this is interesting terrain. Like there isn't hardly a scrap of land out here. That's three feet above
1: sea level. We do have a lot of farmland and and some of the fields are, are decent size, you know, two or 300 acres, but there's a lot of cover.
0: And thick cover.
1: And, and one thing we've learned, um, coyotes, they know how to use the cover. Yep. Um, they're, they're very good about working around you and, and using cover. We, we were talking last night, um, you and I, about we, we saw that coyote in the field last night on the way out. And the way he was using the ditch to uh, conceal himself, yep. to move. And and that's a that's a common thing here, and then with the thickness of the woods, it's very strategic. You, you can't just go in to a place and just start calling because they're going to get behind you and they're going to bust you. Yep. So,
0: so. you started with an electronic call and a red light.
1: Yep. And you gun, gave it, me it, that it, old call. Yeah. That you had, and if you remember the way the controller was it it was not a display controller there were just numbers on it
0: yeah you had to write you down you had
1: to memorize yeah. the number of the call if i wanted to do a female coyote long howl i had to remember number 12 Yep. you you remember that and it, it was great
0: and it and it had like 100 sounds or something 99 sounds that you could keep on it but i remember when i would go out to hunt i would have to listen to each sound and then write down. Okay, I like that sound. That's a baby cottontail, and I'd write down, you know, number twenty-seven. And I'd have a little sticky note with me, Be like, okay, twenty-seven. All right, now I need pup distress. That's number sixty-three. And click, click, click. And yeah, it was. It was oh tough. yeah.
1: It was, so it it was a it was a challenge, but it was a great call. I mean, the the sound that that it put out was wonderful. Yeah. The early and, days of Fox Pro. And see, that was that was a big help to me because. You know, when when you get into a sport, especially something as challenging as this, and you, you really want to try to get into it a little bit to make sure it's something you really want to get serious about before you start dumping tons of money into it. Uh-huh. And it, you can easily do that. Like, like a, a new call... I think at that time a, a decent call then was like three hundred and eighty bucks. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's a lot of money to put into a piece of equipment that you, you don't know if you're even gonna stick with the sport or not. Yeah. So that was a big help.
0: And 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 to be fair, like I have called a lot of coyotes in not wearing camouflage with, you know, a basic rifle and a basic scope, no rangefinder, um, and a twelve dollar call from Walmart. You know, you you can get it done, but there are levels to this game and you know, yesterday I learned about levels that I didn't know
1: existed from
0: you. So, yeah, t- take take it from there. Like how how well, did it, how did it advance? You know, we
1: we we did all the reading we could. We watched a lot of shows. Um I, one thing I remember, we we had we had like I said two red lights and a lighted reticle in the scope and First of all, we had to figure out how to scout and how to locate the coyotes. So we we spent a lot of time like we would ride into a place and we would start walking up this field road and we would do these uh, coyote locator calls, you know, which looking back is kind of kind of makes me laugh because the you know, you, you go through long periods of time here where the coyotes just will not go off, no matter what. Like months? Yeah, like this month. Yeah. Normally, they're pretty quiet, mm-hmm. and, you know. So anyway, here here we are. We're just going around. And then we would spend days, our weekends, we would ride around looking for scat on the roads.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and as we went along, then we started talking more to the farmers, and it it finally got to where whenever the farmers would would see a coyote, they would call me or text me and drop a pin for me. And then um, and then too, we found out that if you called an area and you you got dogs and you you shot a dog, or worse than that, if you missed a dog, that area was spent. For at least a couple weeks. Mm. I mean, you just, you couldn't, you couldn't go back and expect to do anything. So we realized early in the game, you need a lot of territory. Well, you have to understand what Owen and I are, we both have very obsessive personalities. So for the first year that he and I started hunting, we were hunting five nights a week. I mean, we were all in, and I we had a routine. I would get in from work, get a real quick bite to eat, load up, and then we were gone, and we would hunt. I, You know, we didn't make a lot of stands, but we were hunting every night five nights a week the first year. We were determined. And I remember how, in the early days, how scared we were to even – you know the type of calls that we were using because we had read so much about using the wrong how how you can scare the dogs off or you can overcall with rabbit in distress and never use the same call twice in a certain spot so you read all these things and so we were we were actually really scared about the calls that we were using so the first year, I think we killed, it had to be less than a dozen coyotes. Hunting five nights a week. Hunting five nights a week. Oh, it, I look back now. Well, we we actually did call quite a few dogs in because they were really stupid then. I mean, and they would come in like within 20 yards of you. And just because we... We weren't expecting it or we were like in the wrong spot and we we really didn't have the right equipment. We would miss or wouldn't even sometimes wouldn't even see the dog until he was running away from the call. Sure. Just, it makes me really laugh now at some of the situations that we were in. Mm-hmm. But actually killing a dog. Yeah, we, we killed very few. Yeah. First year. Yeah. So after the first year, we decided, okay, this, this is something that we need to get better at. And so then we started really thinking about, okay, what, what are we going to do? So then we went, we, we realized early in the game, too, that regardless of what people say, that red light was stopping the dogs. And you, you would see their eyes. When they got close, though, when you put that red light on them, it would stop them and with just a red light and lighted reticle we had to get them within 100 yards to even have a chance at them and and most of the time closer than that at 100 yards you were basically just shooting at eyes really so we went to uh we went to ir so
0: what does that mean infrared
1: infrared yeah and you know um I, th- I think we probably bought the most inexpensive sight mark infrared scopes we could find. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we, we spent that year doing a lot of modifications with the RR lights, the, the, the lights that would come on the scope were, were nothing you, sure. you couldn't see. And so we were working with ways of mounting lights on the scopes and on the rifle. And we would take toilet paper tubes and put them on the end of the lights to focus the light better and just all these little tricks. And it did help. We, our our kill count probably doubled. Okay. So
0: so we're, we're making progress. We're making
1: progress. And we're starting to become more confident with the calls. You know, we, we found out that Certain times of year, the dogs react differently to different things. There's there's some parts of the year that they're more territorial than others. There's some times of the year where you have dogs that are just passing through uh, transits. Mm-hmm. And then you have the time of year when they're pairing up. And then you have the time of year where, where they're denning up. And, and then when they have puppies. And then when the puppies are coming out. And they all, all those seasons, the coyote seasons, they react different ways to the different calls, you know? So once we started understanding that and, and then you get your favorite sounds, you know, your go-to sounds, you know, like the a baby cottontail in yep. distress. I mean, yep. it, that, that's just a go-to uh, very unintimidating sound. Yet yeah, you can always start with you, mm-hmm. you. You know what I mean. So we we got a lot m- more comfortable with the calls. Yep.
0: So from the from the IR and the and the night vision scopes, like wh- where did you go from there? Did you notice that that like are coyotes able to see infrared at all?
1: Well, yes. We found out that they could see the glow from the infrared. If they got within a hundred yards, it would stop them. They, they would see it. And do you think that was the, the infrared or the
0: visible light coming back and hitting your face that they're seeing? I, I,
1: no. Well, no. Cause you know, we were real disciplined with, with that. Uh, you know, that, that was another aspect of learning how to do this. You've got to learn how to make everything quiet. Mm-hmm. You've got to, you've got to come up with a little, code system with your partner so that you're working together without talking or whispering. We were at that time, we wouldn't even whisper. You had to lube everything up where it wouldn't squeak or, you you know, you you just had to go to great pains to, to make everything quiet. People don't realize how sound travels at night and how loud, Everything is at night. So, for example, the coyote we called in last night, um,
0: the scope we were using then had the ability to record video. Um, So I reached up and I hit record. And then the next thing I did was got on him and took the safety off on an AR. This coyote's 75 yards away-ish. He stopped and you can see his ears come forward when that safety comes off and he looked right at you and looked right at us yeah yep. and that wasn't a loud sound like that's barely audible to me a couple inches away from it and him you know across the field that stopped him and he heard it clear as day
1: because it was an unnatural sound yeah and, and that that's something else we we learned you know you, you I, I guess you can make sounds out there or make noises but as long as it's not unnatural, yep. any type of human sound like metal on metal or or cough yep. or click, you know, they can hear it. And it's amazing how they can zero in on it, too. Yeah. But if you step on a piece of corn stubble, that's not necessarily no. the end of the world. No, I mean yeah. anything. It, they're used to that. Yeah. That's a that's a natural sound. And yep. it, it doesn't bother them. So when did you start using thermals? Well, we at by that time we we had figured out that the red using the red light to scan with was just killing us. Yep. You know. And uh a lot of dogs were hanging up. Uh we were getting busted a lot. Yep. And so Owen Owen picked up a quantum, Pulsar quantum monoscope or handheld, mm-hmm. and that just changed everything. That was a thermal? Yep. yep. That was a thermal. That changed everything. So I got one, and so then we started using a the thermal to scan with, and it, that was a, a game changer. I think that, that was that was the number one thing that changed. Our success rate more than doubled after that because then – what, what we had, and by then too, we had added DVR um, so that we could go back and look at the hunts. I, and me, especially because I was missing so much at yeah. the time, it was killing me. And I, you know, we, we talked about this last night. By the time the hunt, you know, you, you let's say you miss a dog and it happens so quick. You know, when we went to the DVRs and started recording the hunts, you know, it's amazing how your memory plays tricks on you. So I would miss, let's say I missed a dog. And by the time I got home, I had, I remembered the hunt differently than it really did. And I never realized that until we watched the video. You watch the video, and it's like, wow, I never realized that I did that or that that's how quick that was or that that dog moved like that. So we found that to be another really great tool is to be able to come back and review the hunts. And it really does show you the mistakes that you're making that, you know, the techniques, the, the little mistakes that yep. are killing you. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. No, I, my, uh, my ability to miss coyotes is, is really strong. I think if I had a superpower, they would be, you know, missing coyotes. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they're a little target. And I'm, I'm not going to make excuses for missing anything. But People don't understand how small a coyote is. You know, they're, they're about as big around as a grapefruit. And I hear guys all the time, you know, especially at West, they'll shoot a coyote at like 400 yards. And they're used to being able to kill deer at that range. And they're like, I don't know what happened. I missed well, how accurate is your rifle? Oh, it's it's accurate. It shoots uh shoots a one inch group at a hundred yards. Okay, well that's four hundred yards. So now under perfect circumstances, you're shooting a four inch group at a four inch target, and it's not perfect circumstances because you're out in the wild. You know, you're not shooting off of a bench rest. It's hard. It's hard. And to And you're hit
1: jacked up. Yeah. And I say jacked up. I, with me, my heart is. Pounding out of my chest. In some of my videos, you you can literally you can actually hear me breathing. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm gasping for air. I just get so excited and so jacked up. Owen, I, I've seen him get jacked up a couple times, but Owen tends to be more calm than I do. Yeah, and and he's more successful with some of the longer shots because of that. Uh, me, I just resigned to the fact that I'm a terrible long shot shooter. And if, if they're outside 200 yards, I'm just not even going to try. But Owen, Owen's a lot more steady than I am when it comes to that. I I just get really jacked up about it. So. So what was the next, next phase
0: of development?
1: So then we were using a golf cart and it turned out to be a, a real pain in the butt logistically uh, yeah. it, it made a great move. well you know you get tired of walking yeah and i've got a diesel truck and so you, you can't just drive right up to where you're going to hunt sure without running everything off and we got tired of walking lugging all that gear in walking yeah. into a place because shoot you're walking in sometimes you know a thousand yards to to set up yeah and so I said, okay, well, we'll get us a golf cart. So I bought a little golf cart and fixed it up and trailered it in around for about a year. And, and it was really great. But some of the smaller trails and paths, it was really hard to maneuver. And we still ended up having to walk away But the main thing was getting the thing loaded and unloaded and turned around. And some of these field roads are backing out onto a highway, trying to get out of a place. It, it just became a real pain in the butt. And then another problem that same time period we were running into is they, they grow a lot of corn here. And we we were finding that with IR. We we would time it, you know, with the thermal, the dogs would, would come in and we wouldn't turn the IR light on until the dogs were within range. So that way, if we turned IR light on and it did stop them, which it did a lot of times. Yep at least they would stop within range and you could take your shot. Because, you you know, coyotes don't stand still long. No. Sometimes I laugh when I watch some of these deer shows, you know. Don't get me wrong, I know killing trophy bugs is, is really tough and there's a lot of skill involved, and I'm not trying to downgrade that. But, you know, when a deer walks by your stand, you've got all day to shoot. You, you know what I'm saying? Compared, Def- to, compared a coyote, to a coyote. coyote, for sure. you you you've got all the time in the world. Yeah. So we, we had all this equipment. Let's say we would call. We would see the coyote coming. Like, let's say the coyote's at 200 yards coming. And so I would have to reach over, turn my DVR on, and then I'd have to flip on my hour light and then get sighted in on the dog Before I was ready to shoot, you know, and then I take two (coughs) fingers and flip my safety where it won't click. So it it was really busy. It's a lot going on. A lot going on really quick, you you know? So then um, Owen bought an apex uh, pulsar apex thermal scope. And that was a, that was a game changer and you know i really liked the picture that you got from the hour cuz you're looking at the animal i mean you're seeing sure. the fur you're seeing the contrast and the you're looking at the animal and i really love that so i was more resistive to going to thermal mm-hmm. cuz the thermal picture it just is not as nice as an hour picture, right? where you're really seeing the animal. And so I, I resisted for a while. But then Owen, uh, what we do is we take turns, okay, whose hunt it is. Like if, if we go and call and I kill a dog, then the next time it's Owen's hunt. So when we get yeah. into a spot, he picks out where he wants to sit and then I get in a, a like a supporting position, mm-hmm. and then Owen. I mean, he he was he was on the dogs so much faster than I was yep. because he could actually, you know, with this IR, you know, hundred fifty yards, you could you could see a shadow. You, you knew something was there, but it wasn't an image that was sharp enough to. To even think about shooting, right? And Owen's thermal—I mean, he was killing dogs then at two hundred yards. I mean, he was killing dogs that I couldn't even see. Yeah, you, you, you know what I'm saying. So it doesn't take
0: very much of that before you're like, "Hey,
1: I need to look into this thermal well, thing a little uh, bit and, more." And, yeah, and, and too, you know—there were a few times where it would be my hunt, and a dog would hang up at. Hang up at like 150 yards or 200 yards and start, you know how they start looking when they get antsy and you know they're getting ready to go. Yep. And I would just whisper to Owen, your dog. Yeah. And let him shoot the dog because I couldn't see it. Sure. So I finally, I got tired of that. So... Um, that would take me about one one times before I got tired well, of that. I, I'm more stubborn than that. I know you are. You know. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I was more stubborn, but but so then then I got a a, a thermal scope, an entry level thermal scope, and that was another another game change. Uh, so then we went to uh, we decided that we wanted. To do better than the golf cart. And And this is a huge level up. Well, the first idea we had was we saw... You know these hoverboards, right? Yep. That you stand on top of. Yep. They're two-wheeled devices. And we saw one where you could hook a little trailer-like thing on it Hmm. and sit down and drive it, right? Uh, We saw something on youtube with that so we we ordered one of those just to try it yep and you've only got like a half inch of ground clearance yeah with these things they're, right? they're for pavement so we used it well actually owen used it probably four or five times but it didn't take us long to realize that this was not the answer. Yeah. Okay, th- this wasn't going to work. And so... Maybe the right direction, but not the right thing. Yeah. we, I mean, it was easy to handle and it was, you know, easy to transport, but it, it just wasn't going to go where we wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And so I got to looking into electric bikes and, golly, you know, electric bikes were so expensive. They I are mean, expensive. Well, just a decent one then was you know, $5,000.
0: Yep. And you look at, you know, the top end now, and the best e-bikes I've been around are the Baku bikes, and they are phenomenal. They're they're like a electric motorcycle that happens to have pedals. And they're they're awesome. But you're going to spend several thousand dollars to get a good bike like that. And if that's your thing, that's your thing. You know, I've spent a lot more than that on a motorcycle. Yeah. Um so it's it's all right, you know, and I, I think the price is, is justified by the item, but it is a big price. It is. It It, it is a big price. And, and it's not necessarily the right tool for
1: what you're trying to do here. Well, and, and we were worried, you know, about durability. And, and Owen and I both, we, we live very modestly. Yep. And, you know, it, that that's a lot to drop on, yeah. on, on something like that. So, anyway, I found... I found this uh, Razor Metro, okay, and, um, you know, it, it didn't have, they were using little lead-acid batteries, and it didn't have near the range that I was looking for. And-, and this thing
0: is like a scooter, but it's almost got like a skateboard deck where your feet go and a little bit bigger tire, like a 16-inch tire. Right. And it's got a seat and and some little scooter like Razor scooter handlebars. And it, and it came with the
1: basket yep. on, on the back. Yeah, it's so
0: got, a, got a little basket, a, basket for a little bread basket back there. And then you started modifying these things.
1: Well, I, I got I thought, okay, well, you know, even if it doesn't work out, we'll have a good time with yep. it, you know. So I got one and immediately recognized the potential that this thing had. It, it was light, easy to transport, and... Besides uh, torque and range um, it was actually once once we rode it a few times at night it was easy to maneuver it came natural so then yeah I I started uh, the first thing we did was we played with the gear ratio and got the torque Um, because you know you start going across bean fields and stuff like that you you need a little more torque and then I went to lithium. Um, and then instead of 36 volt, I went to a 48 volt and, uh, which just the, the range now is I, I've never not had enough power at, at Owen neither. So once we went to, to, lithium batteries and, and did the gearing changes and, and then we added some things to, to carry our equipment and uh, put little headlights on them. And um, uh, they have been, that was the next key. Because now we're riding in places, sometimes, you know, three or four miles, riding in. And they they do make a little noise because they're chain-driven, but it's it's more of a whine. And, and like we were talking about before, we noticed that it's not bothering the animals because it's not an intimidating sound it's not a human sound
0: it's uh, really quiet man it's so we qu- were riding past deer that were not far away and they didn't even look at us last yeah, night
1: the the loudest thing really is the tires like going across gravel or or on the road you know the road itself the dirt the tires are but that's because at night you hear everything right i mean you hear everything and and so when I was fixing these bikes up, I would ride it around during the day, you know, and think, man, this this is like whisper quiet now. Mm-hmm. I, I would tweak this and tweak that and get all the squeaks and everything. And then the first time we would go down like a, a dirt road going into a place, I would start hearing all these noises and like, wow, I, I didn't hear that earlier today when I was tweaking this thing. So it's really, really weird the way the night air is just so different. Yeah. You know, but, but that was a game changer. So, so now we can park the truck. It takes like three or four minutes just to take the bikes off, load your gear and ride in and just lay the bikes down.
0: And they're really light.
1: Yeah. They, I mean, uh, I think mine weighs uh, under 50 pounds. Yeah. And then another thing that's, that I would not have even
0: thought of is since it is a scooter and it just has that, you know, deck down on the bottom for your feet and no bar in between, they're super easy to get on and off of. And if you've got a pack on, if you've got a rifle over your shoulder, swinging your leg over a bicycle seat is cumbersome. It just is.
1: Yeah. And the center of gravity on a bike is really high too. So balance, you know, If you think about it, last night I had my shooting bucket on the back, and then I had my rifle slung on my shoulder and my call slung on my other shoulder. And I'm riding along right at night using my thermal to see. So now you've got a thermal
0: monocular on a helmet that that flips down, that flips down so that you can look through it. And that's how you're navigating at night, as well as looking out in the field and identifying. Well, Animals.
1: see that was an that was another thing too. When we first went to the bikes, we were just wearing our thermal scan you know around our neck. Yeah. And we were just kind of riding in by moonlight. But what was happening is we were riding by dogs on the way in. Right. There would be dogs in the field and we would ride right by them. And then we'd get to our spot and set up and do a scan. And look back where we had just ridden through, and there's a couple coyotes. Yeah. So then we thought, well, golly, we need we need to see better when we're coming in, and we need to be able to scan on the way in. So yeah, we 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 started out with these uh, these like uh, webbing type helmets that just webbing, and they had a little mount on the front, and it, you know it wasn't that bad. The skull crusher, the skull crusher, and and it was so hot, you know. We hunt in the summer too. We hunt the whole year, so you're sitting there and you just sweat. It's just pouring down your face, you know, in the summer with this thing, and uh, and so then a buddy of mine gave me a uh, composite helmet like they use in special ops, and uh, boy, the comfort level was way better, you know? So, uh, it keeps your head cool. It's comfortable to wear. And, uh, it's, it's made a a difference too. So it, so now all, all the main pieces are together. So you've got a thermal scope, you've got a thermal monocular on a
0: helmet that flips down so that anywhere you look, you're seeing with thermal in one eye, you've got one eye open that you can see with any ambient light from moonlight or whatever. You've got your modified razor scooter, You've changed your call and the type of calling sequences you can use. Learned a lot about when and where to hunt and which winds. And you're hunting, you know, days every week, all year long, learning this area. At this time, you know, since 2014, how many coyotes have you guys killed here? We've, We've killed over 390 Coyotes. 390 coyotes, and that's coyotes that are sure enough dead that you can reach over and pick up its foot and take a picture of it.
1: Yeah, you know, if we we came up with this rule, Owen and I, if you didn't have a – because sometimes I'll hunt by myself, you know, when he can't hunt and he'll hunt. If you don't have a picture of the dead dog, it doesn't count. Yeah. I mean, you, you wouldn't believe the links that I've gone to – several times just to find a dog to get that picture yeah you you know what i mean just to prove it to your buddy not just not to prove it to anybody else but yeah yeah well i've got the video yeah you know but the video is not good enough yeah with with us he and i i mean you gotta have a picture you know well if you went by the video that dog last night
0: i mean i shot he looked good jumped up in the air but
1: Uh, I just skimmed his chest. I didn't kill that coyote. You know... made it out of there. If we didn't... If we didn't... I would have... When you shot and that dog jumped, the first thing that I thought was heart shot. Yep. I've seen them do that so many times with a heart shot. Jump straight up in the air and then run for 100 yards. Like, you never touched them. Yep. And then just fall over. Yep. You know, fall over dead. And when that dog was running across... I was just, I was actually just waiting for him just to disappear mm-hmm. out of the tunnel, you know, yep. and no, nope. I missed, but that video you saw when we got back, I mean, there would have always been that doubt that well, what happened
0: mm-hmm.
1: unless you saw that video and you could, well, I think we flipped back and forth because neither one of us could believe it, Yeah, you know, but you can see, you can see exactly what happened and man, it, I still can't believe it was that close. You, yeah. you had to have at least skimmed him because he jumped sure. three feet in the air. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So if you, uh,
0: if you end up shooting one later on, that's got a little crease in his chest, then I, that's a picture I want to see.
1: Yeah. I'll make
0: sure, <laughs> I'll make sure
1: you get that one. <laughs> so, well, you know, and we've been doing it long enough now. The fun, the, another fun part of this whole thing is, you know, it, we, we have people now, you know, all of the deer clubs in this area, I think they've always known that the coyotes were just devastating the deer and the turkeys and everything. But what started happening over the years is we would, we would start hitting certain clubs really hard. And we would thin out the coyotes, and you you would be surprised at how quickly the habitat revives. Sure, because you know even even the like the hunters, the deer hunter and turkey, they come to us and say, "Man, I've never seen so many small deer, or I've never seen so many turkeys," and it's just incredible how quickly the wildlife comes back if you get rid of these predators. Yeah. That's, that's really surprised me a lot.
0: Well, people just don't, I guess they don't think that like these predators are eating all year long, all year long. Every single one of them is killing, killing stuff to eat. And if it's a new predator to, to the area, like coyotes are here or wolves are out West or grizzlies as they're expanding their, their country, whatever. Um, They're moving into an ecosystem that is not used to their presence there. It's ripe for the taking. Yeah. And and it's detrimental to the prey populations. And eventually, it moves to livestock as well.
1: You know, we had our YouTube site is called Dirty Dogs Done Dirt Cheap. (laughs) That's the name of our channel, right? And it's kind of funny. The way we came up with that name is we had a guy – um, that raised cattle. Uh-huh. And, uh, this was a couple of years ago and he had a calf and the next morning he went out and the calf had been half eaten. Yeah. Okay. And there was coyote sign all around. So of course he called us and, um, and we said, yeah, we'll, we'll come out there and see what we can do. Well, the first night out there, we killed a double and then, um, I think the next week we went back and we killed a couple more, and he was so grateful that he gave Owen and I each a dozen fresh eggs.
0: That's and nice.
1: It was really nice. So, so but to be funny, so we named our YouTube site "Dirty Dogs Done Dirt Cheap." Nice. Yeah. So and we've had a lot of fun with that too. Yeah. Cool. And and, and this is how secretive Owen is. If you watch our videos, okay. You'll notice that some of them have music and and some of them don't. Mm-hmm. The reason some of them have music is because Owen is so secretive that those are the videos that you can actually hear the call sequence on the video. Okay. And if you can hear the call sequence on the video, he'll overlay music on it. Hmm. So you can't hear the call sequence on the video. Yeah. It's pretty pretty funny. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, there's, there is there is a competitive aspect to it because there's lots of guys around that, that want to hunt coyotes. Um, but there's almost none that are willing to work at it the way that you guys have. And the lessons that you've learned are hard-earned lessons. So you have every right to keep that information to yourself.
1: Well, you know, I, I don't know. It, you know, anybody who who asks, I, I tell them whatever they Want you know. I help him as much as I can, but you're right. Most people don't have the temperament. It, it was just, it was the same way with tarpon fishing. Mo- most people don't have the temperament for a challenging hunt. Mm-hmm. You, you know, Cody hunting's like like golf. You know, it looks easy on TV. Yeah, um, you're not going to go out and kill double coyotes the first time you go yeah the odds are likely that you're probably gonna have to go five or six times before you even see a coyote i still have to so i've hunted coyotes my entire
0: life and i have to hunt for three or four days to call on a coyote anymore and there's more people hunting coyotes in my area there's not a lot of coyotes around but I have every expectation that if I go out and I hunt half a dozen stands in a day and drive 200 miles doing it, that I'm probably not going to call in a coyote. But if I, I know that if I do that for two or three or four days that I'm going to, I'm going to call in a coyote or a couple coyotes and it's going to be
1: that much more special when it happens. And it is. And, and it is, it's very rewarding because it's exciting. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, I can't think of anything more exciting. It, it just when it happens it's so quick and it's just so exciting. It it, ca- it catches you. No man, no matter how many times you do it, it catches you off guard mm-hmm. every time cuz they're so unpre- they're unpredictable really when when they come out. You really don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. And then it, even when they come in charging hard. I mean, that decision on when to whoop them or yell at them to stop them. Yeah. And when you stop them, you know, you've only got a few seconds to make it happen. Right. So it all adds together to make it just so exciting. You know,
0: what do you, what do you liking for a call these days? And I'm not talking about like the actual sounds, but for the
1: electronic callers that you're using, I I like, I like the simple Fox pro. Yeah. You know, they, They've gotten kind of crazy. well, and I I think, I think it would depend on the area. Mm-hmm. I, I think you guys out West, you know the, the oscillating sound systems and the bigger speakers and all that stuff probably helps you get greater distance and but for my area where everything's really tight, I mean it, it, we almost never use full volume. You know, everything Mm -hmm. is going to be close. But just the simple Fox Pro. I I think the most important thing is the availability of sounds. You know, we we do buy a lot of sounds. Mm -hmm. And we change change out our sounds a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is the important thing. Okay. And the controller. The remote. Uh, Yeah, the remote. But it, the where the uh the buttons the way the buttons are configured and the the screen something that you can see you think about it something you can see with one eye without you know you're trying to hide the ambient light anyway mm-hmm. and you're looking down and you're trying to so the the way the way the screens laid out too yeah. is is really important yeah it's got to be simple yeah and intuitive you can see yeah you know without lighting your face up yeah you, you know
0: yeah so it's a it's a fascinating thing it's a fascinating thing how how far you've taken this and it's awesome to see that you know you've done so much good for the native wildlife here um through that effort and i'm glad that that there's folks around that are appreciative of that but you know, a lot of times predator hunters are, are the unsung hero. You know, they're out there doing good. And a lot of other people and other wildlife species get to benefit from that. But, you know, nobody necessarily goes up and says thank you to the
1: coyote hunter. Yeah, well, we we do get calls now. We get a lot of calls from people that see them. Or, and, and, and I, you know, we've had in the northern part of the state, there's there, the density, the coyote density is a lot higher because of the restrictions of the the gray wolf thing up there. There's actually been attacks. It was actually a school teacher a couple years ago on a morning walk that that got killed. They they didn't come out on the news and say it was coyotes. They said it was canines, mm. but the canines drug her, you know, thirty feet. So. We we all who who know sure. that animals knew what, yeah. what to deal with. So you you do think about that. Yeah. And then and then you know, your dog, your pets. Yeah. You know, your pets, pets get gone. Cats and dogs
0: and cats especially. Um there's areas where coyotes just specialize
1: in house cats, especially urban and semi urban areas. It's kind of funny, though, that video I showed you last night of that bobcat mm-hmm. chasing that coyote off. Or that was really interesting. That, that coyote didn't want anything to do with that bobcat. So there was a coyote that was hung up like 300 yards
0: out and couldn't figure out why he wasn't coming in. And he kept looking off to his left. And then in comes this bobcat between you and the coyote. And uh, and then the coyote ch- the bobcat turned towards the coyote, and the coyote had
1: enough, and he turned around and left. Took off. Uh, I, 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 I couldn't believe that. Yeah, you know.
0: And if it weren't for things like thermals, you would never know that. You would never know that.
1: Never that, know. That's what it happened. Never know. Definitely, thermal in this area is is the way to go. Yeah, you can see, and, and the technology now. I mean, and you can get you can get thermal equipment now. The the prices are getting down enough now, that it's fairly affordable if it's if it's a sport that you really enjoy compared to other sports it's not that bad yeah sig has a echo three thermal that's a reflex
0: site um so it's think of it like a, a big red dot kind of sight. but uh so it sits forward and you can just watch that thing like it's like it's a television screen and it's really cool but it's for shorter range stuff like 100 yards and in You know, you can detect things farther out than that, but you can't be really sure what it is until it gets a little bit closer to you. And I've had a lot of fun using that um, and used it in in Texas a little bit this spring and used it for coyotes a couple of times. But I'm, I'm eager to see that technology advance and get more affordable as more people use it so that more people can use it because it's a really valuable tool, especially for this type of hunting.
1: Absolutely absolutely i look forward i think one of the next steps for me is getting out and experiencing different yeah environments different terrain different types of coyote hunting yeah um i I can't wait to go out west and 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 see that yeah it'll be
0: something different for you when your call is on full volume and it's 100 yards away and you can't hear it because of wind's blowing and it's the atmosphere is just like a vacuum that's sucking all that sound up it's pretty pretty amazing but you know you also sometimes get to watch a coyote come in from three miles away and you
1: gotta wait for half an hour for him to trot on over there well that, that just gives you time to calm down it does the opposite <laughs> for me i'm like <laughs> you know by
0: the time uh he finally gets over there i'm bre- breathing harder than he is
1: yeah i, I found out that the, the the quicker the dog comes out, the quicker I have to react, the better I shoot. Yeah. If, if I don't have the time, I, I guess I'm like you, you know, if I see a dog and he's, he's got 400 yards of field to come across and he's coming to me, I do have time to sit there and dwell on it, you know? Yeah. And, and then the other thing I hate is straight on shots. Yeah. It's a small target. It it, it, it really is. You know, I, I one that I remember the most is uh, we were hunting this little dirt road or path, field field road, and this dog comes out on this road and starts coming up the road. And golly, he's probably seven eight hundred yards when he comes out. So I'm just sitting there, I mean, just waiting on him, right? And he's coming right on, just straight line. Just a steady, slow trot, right? Just a trot. Just coming right on. Doesn't have a clue. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And that dog gets probably 50 yards. And by now, I'm just so confident. I'm not even going to stop him. I'm just going to shoot him in his tracks. Yep. And I shot. And that dog, it, when you watched the video, it was almost like he dodged the bullet. Mm. I was so shocked. He, he jumped He jumped over on the other side of the path and stopped. And I was so shocked that I missed the dog the first shot that I didn't even take the second shot when it was broadside. And by the time I regained my composure, he jumped back across the path and, and went in the woods, and I didn't get another shot. Yeah. So it'll humble you. Yep. You you know, but
0: it'll also make you better at whatever else it is that you hunt. Um, I think it's, it's a wonderful training tool. Yeah. And thing unto itself. But I'm really grateful that you took me out hunting and we got to go duck hunting this morning and, I got my first wood duck. I've wanted a wood duck for my whole life. You know, we don't have them at all. So that was super cool. And it's just great to be back in Eastern Carolina.
1: I love it here. Well, it's, glad that it's good to have you back. You know, um, it's good to have you back. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Jim. It's good to see you.
0: October, November, December, they're just the best months out of the year, right? Whether it's for work or hunting or fishing, the holidays, spending time with your family, just it's awesome, right? And we've got some nice cold mornings now and you get to go out and have a a warm drink in the duck blind or out on the hillside where you're glassing for for mule deer or elk or or sitting in a tree stand waiting for a whitetail to come past. Or you're working on the job site and you get to take a break and have some nice warm coffee waiting for you pretty nice having a cold drink at the end of the day that makes everything a little bit better too my favorite stanley item right now is the 14 ounce titanium travel mug super lightweight because it's made out of titanium so i'm willing to take it with me when i'm hunting throw it in my pack fits in every cup holder out there and it just seems to be the right amount of coffee Uh, i I like it it's a really cool item and it fits a niche that i didn't have uh, filled in like any of my other drinkware categories i guess Uh, If you're looking for a Christmas present for somebody or just a gift that you want to help them out with, I recommend this because it's pretty cool and it's something that they don't have already. The way most discount codes work, completely honest, is uh, if you use it, then whoever gave you that code gets a kickback. Now, I'm not a salesman and I want nothing to do with that. So I'm going to pass along to you a discount code that Stanley gave me because they're great supporters of this podcast and they're great supporters of this audience, which I love. So if you use the discount code 6RANCH, the number six, the word ranch, you'll get 25% off anything you order from stanley1913.com. I get nothing back from that. I don't want anything. I just want to pass along some savings to you and save you a little bit of money and get you connected with this great company that makes really great products. And as we move through fall and and get into winter and the holidays, just hope everybody's doing well and and having a good time and and that you get to get out there and connect with nature and, and connect with your friends and family and have a nice warm drink while you're doing it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Branigan, with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast is was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch podcast. I'll catch you next week.